Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Johans Rondos with me, Marcus, uh, as the main host this time, while Domagoy actually misses out on his first episode ever, but I hope we'll be just fine even without him. And to discuss this weekend's La Liga results, I got uh, Kai with me at least, so how are you? I'm good, I'm good. What about you? Cool. Yeah, I'm good. I'm trying to just navigate through this episode without, without our our Domagoy guiding us, but I guess we'll do fine without him. I hope so, at least. So I guess we'll just uh, dive into it and start with Barca as, as usual. What was your like the general impression of the 1-1 draw against Athletic? I think the general consensus is that Barca didn't do well, and especially after the confident win uh, against uh, Sociedad, uh, when you go to the neighbors, uh, Bilbao, and then you barely manage, uh, you know, to even brief, the consensus was that Barca didn't have solutions and played very disappointing and could say that the 1-1 draw is even sort of lucky for Barca to not concede even more. Yeah, I definitely agree. It was uh, the 1-1 goal in the end. It was like Barca's maybe the only good period of the game for them like the last 15 minutes because the first at least the first half was like heavily athletic uh, based half where they pressed Barca off the park honestly and I think they kept Barca to three shots uh, during that entire first half which is brilliant considering Barca's attacking talent Um, and then yeah they gained some pace in the end when athletic like kind of dropped off a bit with their pressing which it's obvious you can't keep it up 100% throughout 90 minutes, but yeah, this was Athletic's game and they they deserved the win, honestly. Um, I also like highlight Eric Garcia. Um, I think he has been good recently, both for Spain and Barca, but uh, this game, I don't know what you think, but Iñaki Williams had a, had a field day with him. He ran, ran behind the lines and exploited his weaknesses in a quite... A good way for him and Athletic, or what do you say? I think that uh, you have a very big difference between what Garcia brings on the ball and off the ball, because I think that on the ball he's been brilliant. I think that uh, the way he continued his breaking uh, the line breaking passes we've seen against Sociedad, uh, he's actually done them again. Maybe not with that much success, but still he's been important. Uh, whenever Barcelona actually managed to evade uh, Athletic's pressure. But then, as you just highlighted, the, uh, off the ball, he, I would go on to say he was literally bullied by uh, Iñaki Williams. Uh, and you can actually, the fun part is that in the first half before uh, Pique gets subbed off because of his injury or, or what, whatever he had, uh, you can see before Iñaki going at Garcia voluntarily in 1v1. And then Garcia switches positions because Araujo comes in and Iñaki goes where Garcia goes. And that, yeah. for me, that was genius. I'm not sure if it's Iñaki himself or Marcelino who told him, follow Garcia. It turned out the case, the idea was clear. Garcia is a weak point and you want to isolate him. Yeah, it obviously made sense. I don't know if this exact thing you uh, thought of was when Piquet was on or off the pitch, but when Araujo played with Eric Garcia, it's obvious that Eric Garcia is the weak link behind because yeah. Araujo... He can obviously he can track uh, Williams because he got that uh, athleticism and speed to to keep up with him. But Eric Garcia, yeah, I don't know. He, he had a tough game, a rough game. So we'll see how he improves during time because it's obviously an important part for Barca CB to be able to cover ground because Barca will more often than not play with a very high line and press. At least that's the 
that's the main ideas like the Barca yeah, DNA, which I, I don't like that phrase, but you know how I mean. Yeah, I mean, especially the thing is, it's hard, you know, to say Garcia was bad whatsoever when you remember that his grand, he learned that his grandfather died minutes before the match started. So, you know, starting with this That's and insane. then finishing the game with a red card is like the worst day you could have, basically. Yeah, I'm going to keep that in consideration. That's very true. Uh, I also think um, regarding Athletic's performance, uh, Oyan Sunset in Athletic Bilbao, who has been talked up a lot recently. And like even when he was younger, like 16, 17 years old, he was one of the big talents coming through the academy. And I think this was one of the best games I've seen him play on like senior level because he was uh, at reference point up front, a bit like Raul Garcia has been in the past. But he has even more cre- creative uh, qualities than Raul Garcia. And I think Anson Set going to be yeah, so good in the future. I don't know what how, how highly you rate him, but I think it's a top I definitely talent. do. I remember seeing glimpses of him at the end of last season. Because as far as I remember, he didn't play at the beginning of last season. Uh, but then he eventually got playtime. And since then, and especially as you mentioned this game, he's shown you know, why he's so important. And that's mainly when you combine him with somebody like Iñaki Williams who can run. Uh, and when you have a creator and more or less uh, someone who can run behind and get the balls he creates, then you basically have the perfect duo. Like you can't really complain about that one. So I definitely think that he was key, you know, in the transitions because just like Bilbao in general, he was very fast when you have your own transition. Uh, and the fact that, you know, Iñaki Williams is the star sort of overshadows how good Sanchez is, I think, for the media. I don't think he receives enough praise in relation to his performance. Yeah, it's a good point. It was a lot of talk about Inyaka Williams and a bit less about Sunset, but Sunset was honestly just as good, in my opinion. Um, like speaking of Barca, it's mostly negatives this, uh, from this game, but one who was very good again was uh, Frankie de Jong, who... I don't know, the way he has started this season is just... Like, he was good last season as well, but I think the, these two games have been, like, sensational. He is an incredible midfielder, and I think it's about to... If it's not world-class already, he's definitely there very, very, very soon. I would agree, because I remember a few weeks ago, um, Domagoy asked me, you know, what do you think whether Frankie will impose him and be world-class? And I think these two performances indicate the direction we can expect uh, and the fact is I mean against Sociedad I understood the claims that Sociedad wasn't the strongest and maybe um, Frankie was helped by that but yes uh, when we played uh, when Barcelona played uh, there was not of arguments because Barcelona was struggling against uh, Bilbao on all heights uh, defensively offensively in the midfield everywhere so to see Frank, you know, thrive and especially the connection with the pay, uh, to me just brings, you know, huge hope because there's literally no sign that he's going to slow down and rightly so. And he simply, I remember that one block he did, uh, when he came back all the way to the box and blocked that shot, that's where you understand that guy is literally everywhere, uh, defensively and offensively. And that for me was the amazing thing. Is I think this season, um, the two matches, he's participated more defensively than he used to. Yeah. And his, his impact on the final third seems more obvious to me. Yeah, I definitely agree because I think he, 
like he was a complete profile before, but he didn't leak, like his main impact was always on the ball and in the middle third, maybe to progress play because he was always good at that. But the final third um, presence, I lacked that part of his game. And I think it could be like more decisive and make better decisions in the defensive part as well. And now he seems to do everything so good. And I think he was a main progressor against Athletic about yeah. like uh, Athletic he players was. as well. And uh, as you say, that block was uh, incredible. And uh, yeah, he's creating shots as well. So I, I think it's a Frankie who's about to take the next step. Um, I guess we are done unless you have more points about the I game. I mean, I'd say I'd highlight definitely the pay because it's hard, firstly, because he scored the goal uh, that saved Barca. And secondly, because I think we all remember the chance of the 12th minute where he lays it off for Braithwaite and out of nowhere, Braithwaite misses an almost open goal. So I think definitely the Dipe was the sensation because if they're pretty good players, we mentioned Araujo and Frankie, yeah, but true. then you have to mention Dipe because that's the good thing is that we actually have a performer on every sort of line. Uh, and, and his goal, that, that uh, exactly. class, it's honestly, it's a, it's a class goal. It's a brilliant goal. It's a brilliant goal. And the fact that Dipe, you know, it's not limited to that goal he performed throughout, even though the circumstances against were against him, honestly. Uh, and to see him continuing, you know, to be to do the unpredictable stuff, even though you know you could resort to conservatism when everything is going uh, really badly, is what I appreciate from him. It's really that sort of hunger uh, that you could see in him that I really liked. Because if you look at his two partners in the offensive uh, stuff. Braithwaite and Griezmann, they did the exact opposite. They, you know, uh, went back where they would stay up front. And that's what I liked about him. Yeah, I agree. Completely agree. He has been like highly positive uh, during his first first games for Barca. Um, I thought we'd move on to at least two more games and go a bit more in-depth. And the next one I know you are uh, excited about with Real Betis and your Cadiz, your beloved Cadiz nowadays. What did you make about their 1-1? One, one, uh, also 1-1, one, one, yeah, the draw uh, on Friday night. I think for Cadiz it wasn't that bad uh, because result-wise you're still getting a draw against Real Betis who I think on the technical level are ahead of Cadiz in any sort of way if you look at the players and collectively, etc. Uh, but then I think that Cadiz could have done better because often Real Betis would manage to actually penetrate Cadiz uh, quite deep. Uh, and I think that's what Cadiz were, used to be about, is limiting these things. And I just think that Real Betis had way too many chances, uh, and that if Cadiz wants to continue, they either really have to um, um, translate the output, they create counterattacks into more goals or assists or whatsoever, or they will have to improve defensively. There's no two ways about it, because right now, from that game, it seemed like they were half-half on it. And I don't think it's going to work throughout the season. Yeah, that's a very good point, point, honestly, because I remember last season when they was recently promoted and their like, maybe first 10-12 games, I think they were like so solid and so compact as a block. You couldn't really penetrate them because they were too too solid. But then they their trend wasn't too good throughout the, like their defensive numbers at least got worse. Even though they, like, I don't know where they finished, like 12th, 13th, it was a very yeah, good so, position. So. And, but I don't know, the trend always seemed a bit uh, 
at least according to the underlying numbers, it, it was downwards, downhill. And I don't know about the start of this season because now the Real Betis game, it was Real Betis, as you said, they probably should have won. They will win this game more often than not based on the chances they created. And I don't know. I think Cadiz was a bit lucky, honestly, because uh, Real Betis numbers are post like they had many shots, a high XG, plenty of box entries, like way above, way above average. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm, yeah. The thing is, you can't do that on every game because at some point, you know, the goal is going to come in, uh, and then the opposition has the advantage of you know they will be waiting for the game you're supposed to play which is wait for the guys, you know, to really be advanced and break them open in the counter-attack. And I think that when you look at their counter-attacks, and especially a player that Harlet is Lozano, uh, was really essential uh, in that role. Uh, but to me, the thing is, you need, you know, more counter-attacks firstly, uh, because honestly, it was not enough. You can't rely on two counter-attacks. You have to have more. That's the first thing. The second thing is, honestly, you can't, let the opponent have that many penalty box entries and I'll highlight more that than anything because I said before last season, especially in the first half of the season, that's where they were the best or at least, you know, on the top. It's really, you know, not letting anyone in their penalty box that was like literally some sort of wall. And now it's more, more like there's a lot of leaks and I honestly don't see them uh, the overperforming, as you said before, uh, as much as they did last year. Yeah, that's that's a good summary of uh, of their issues and and strength. I think um, regarding Betis, as I will touch it, they had a it was a, like not a fantastic game, but still a game that I think they could be happy with it because they should have won the game. And even though they still have a bit defensive issues, um, I think the counter press is uh, a bit off or lazy. Like they don't seem cohesed. Uh, cohesive um, and the CB options, like uh, or the defensive options in general, is it's a bit shaky. So I think they have signed now German Pezella, Pezella from uh, is it Fiorentina? I think yeah, and he will. Uh, I think he will go into that eleven quite soon. And because I, I'm not too fond of Edgar. I know a lot of Real Betis fans uh, are because uh, homegrown and all that. I think is so. Yeah, but I think but he has he's a liability in my opinion. I don't. It's, I don't really like him as a as a quality player, honestly. Yeah, I would agree because the thing, the reason why Cadiz was so successful in the counter attacks whenever eventually they got them is because Betis defense and as you said, the center back pairing is a huge mess. And I think you could already see that in the last game where against Mallorca, I think it was, uh, that you could see there's something to work on there. Uh, and as you said, I think Pedro will be an upgrade, but I'm not sure if it's gonna be enough to know uh but they definitely offensively at least they were reassuring and you know we're still there we can still create as much etc uh but then as you said i think that defensively i'm really hoping they'll get this sorted out because i don't think it's going to go for another season where you can continue to have a liable defense yeah i agree uh one last thing for me about cadiz uh, thomas alarcon what a what a signing he has been it looks like a quality center mid who like so intense and quite, uh, yeah, his roughness, but still very solid and wins a lot of balls. And I think, yeah, he's a, looks like a very exciting player. And quite young, 22, 23 years old. So he's one to one to watch Alarcon. I would agree because I think his price was like for 1.5 million, which is like nothing. Uh, and he's already been good in the preseason. 
and then especially the first match day, uh, I remember, I think it was against Levante, uh, you know, they're really, uh, the reason why Cadiz basically didn't die was because of Alarcón, because he was the guy who literally stopped almost any ball in the midfield. And you could see there's a big difference between Cadiz defense before Alarcón and after. After, as of right now, it's more or less shambles. And in front of it, it's, it's, it's totally fine because Alarcón will just stop almost any ball at this point. So I'm, I'm hoping he'll continue. Uh, because obviously, you know, there's sometimes signings where they perform the first five match days, for example, and then they don't get this. You get you don't get the same output anymore. But I'm really hoping that he will, because in in that case, for me, uh, he has been one of, one of the signings I've really been excited about. Yeah, good point. Very good point. Um, so in the midst of um, like quite quite low scoring games in La Liga, as usual, uh, one game who really stood out was uh, Real Madrid Levante three three. Um, so six goals, um, or Levante Real Madrid is the correct way to to put it, of course. But just I don't know, chaos was my first. Like when I just put some uh, put some notes down to this game, and it's just chaos because the second half was it was crazy. Was I'd, for, I would say perhaps the best uh, um, conclusion you can take, and the best you know sort of highlight you can get from the game to summarize it is when uh, the Levante goalkeeper goes 35 meters and forgets he's out of his box and then gets a red card. That's the crazy thing. And it's even crazier when you think that uh, Real Madrid had, what, I think five or six minutes of extra time and couldn't score a single, not even go, shot. And that's, to me, it's still out of me. I've watched the game like two times already, uh, once this morning and obviously yesterday night, and it still doesn't make sense. It's, I think that's what the game is about. It's really the unexpected, it's really the worst conditions. Yeah, I think like many people have pointed that out. And it's like the one time where a long shot from like 30, 35 meters would be like viable and maybe a good idea is when you have a player like Ruben Vesu playing in goal. Like he probably, it's, it's a less chance that he will uh, save that one than I thought. So how they didn't get a shot off during stoppage time was just, uh, it was crazy. Um, but yeah, in general, I don't know, Ancelotti's Real Madrid, it's, uh, it's not like Zidane's Real Madrid. It's a bit more like free-flowing and more attacking, I think. Um, I think obviously they won't score seven goals like uh, in two games all season, but I think they are more attacking-minded and uh, like it lives not, not as good as a collective, but more of uh, trusting the individuals and their, their qualities. I think that the, it's going to be a good season, at least for Vinicius. I think he'll be very, uh, at least a key with Benzema on the attack. Uh, and he's shown that yesterday when he scored two goals. And as far as I remember, it's the first time in a while that a Madrid sub uh, basically gets two goals at the beginning or something like that. Um, either way, I think Ancelotti has uh, doesn't care that much about you know defensive solidity, and that I think comes from you know the situation Zidane came in years ago and the situation Ancelotti comes in right now, uh, because you got to remember Zidane he originally played defensively because when Ronaldo left there was n- nobody really to supply all his goals, and therefore he said let's build a better defense because the offense is not enough. And right now, when you have Ramos and Vahan, uh, etc., gone, it's the exact opposite. 
uh, if you're going to rely on the defense, you're about to lose. And therefore, I think Ancelotti's approach makes sense. I think it makes sense to, you know, insist on, you know, intensity. However, the pressing scheme as of yesterday and uh, the one of last week already is a huge mess. Uh, I remember Alavesh already uh, totally exposed them, especially with uh, Jose Lu uh, running between the Madrid centre-backs. And I just don't think you can accept to leave that much space open without a viable pressing scheme. I agree. I'd be surprised if uh, Ancelotti's uh, Real Madrid can match the defensive numbers, obviously, dance. But I expect them to score a lot more goals, so I guess it weighs up in the end, um, one way or another. Uh, one player who was uh, surprisingly good last night was Isco, who looked like his old self. And I don't know, it maybe was due to uh, Modric and Kroos' absence, and he, he was the main man. Like He obviously... He carried the attack and he was the main man in attack and created most uh, chances and uh, the best progressor and stuff like that. And I just, I loved Isco in his peak and yesterday was like that, like those days. So I hope I, this will be a, like a long-term trend and not something like just a blip. Yeah, I'm, I'm scared about that one because I feel it's a blip, but uh, just like you, I love the prime Isco and if we can get him back, it's perhaps the best, you know, image you can get of Ancelotti because you know many of us tend to think and it feels like it Ancelotti is a bit old school now uh, and seeing someone like Esco who now feels like he could only thrive in old school stuff it's like the perfect stuff uh, for them together it feels like the match made in heaven whatsoever uh, the other player I think that we got to highlight is especially Alaba because I think he's had a tremendous game uh, at least offensively because I think he's very suited uh, to Ancelotti's setup uh, in the sense that his sort of, you know, aggressivity when it comes to, you know, direct passes, verticality that he's learned from Bayern is literally what is going to help uh, rich players like Vinicius or even Benzema. Yeah, no doubt. His ball progression is honestly, he could be the best defender like in, in the world in, in that area because he is... Uh, like a tremendous passer of the ball and the way he has uh, slotted in on that left side with, uh, well, Isco yesterday, uh, Modric in game one and uh, Hazard uh, further forward and Benzema who likes to drop out on the left and that like uh, the triangle has been sensational good and I think that will be a source of chance creation for Real Madrid during this season. I would agree and then there's finally, I think, especially in the first half, Benzema, who I, I, I don't think you can forget him because uh, he's been tremendous for the past season and it feels like he just won't stop. Uh, it's for me at some point when I saw, you know, uh, the dysfunctional pressing uh, at Real in the first 20 minutes or so, it felt like Benzema was still living his own world and he was playing against Levante instead of Real Madrid playing against Levante. Uh, and that to me was crazy how he pulled off what he did yeah he's he's honestly he's incredible of course he definitely is uh, I think just before we before we wrap this up uh, Jose Campagna you gotta talk about Campagna right uh, who is back now after nine months of his uh, injury like missed big part of last season and um, has been fantastic during these uh, first two games and last night when we got this uh, free-flowing like end-to-end -end stuff he give him space in the middle and he will 
he will progress the ball like he always does. And he's such a such an underrated player for the general general football fan, I think. I, I remember, yeah. And I highlighted that this before on Twitter, but uh, to me, it still blows my mind on the 10th minute. Uh, the shot that uh, Madrid concedes, which is the second of Levante's, uh, it's literally Campania uh, taking free space on the wing and basically centering it perfect, perfectly, I think it was uh, for Roger Marti. And that to me was crazy because, as you said, if you give him a bit of space, which Madrid, let's be honest, gave billions of those in the midfield, Campania will literally take every single inch and will reduce you until the goal. That's how good he is. The only thing, basically, that can save you from Campania is a very good goalkeeper. That's about it. Because yeah. def- defenders have no clue what he's on about. Uh, midfielders already pass him somehow. And he's, as you said, very underrated because of his injury. And if I remember well, the first game against Cadiz, it was him who actually scored the goal for Levante. Uh, and that basically tells you everything you need to know about Campania. He is, you know, one of the main men. And I remember being scared at the beginning of the season when it was reported that Levante was in financial trouble, just like Barca and a few other clubs, and that he might get sold. And I'm very glad that Levante didn't sell him because yeah. I simply don't think Levante would be half as close as what they're doing now without Campania. Uh, he's, he is their most important player alongside uh, him and Morales, I'd say. So yeah. Morales is always and also and a brilliant player. Yeah, and maybe Roger Marti as well. I would say he's pretty important, but it's definitely without without Campania. Uh, it's really crazy, and I really hope that at some point, you know, he'll play at some higher level uh, club because he simply deserves more exposure. There's no way if he uh, continues performing like this without injuries that he won't get noticed. Yeah, definitely. So I guess unless you have something to add, do you? Um, I think. We could maybe talk about Atletico. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, what do you say about it? Because I feel Atletico, there's still, you know, that issue of what is going on with the defense. And I remember the, seeing the lineup and going, oh boy, because there's literally only midfielders. And I think you have to, you know, uh, talk about Paul because it's impossible to not talk about him. Uh, he is incredible and I was glad when I saw him uh, starting because he didn't in the first round and you know Simeone can be a, a bit slow with his uh, new signings you're gonna get used to the system and all that but so him starting game two honestly says a lot about uh, the quality he possesses and the way Simeone rates him and I think he had a good game and he obviously had a brilliant assist to Korea's goal uh, a bit like his assist in the Copa America final to Di Maria actually uh, with a yeah. long uh, sweeping switch of play and yeah he's a brilliant player and he shows his progressivity which is his main trait uh, his elite trait where he could be the best in the world and to take the ball forward and he's doing it through carries passes and everything he's a, a sensational player yeah definitely I think when you when you remember that last season one of the best players uh, for Atletico was Marcos Llorente and that he might not overperform as much as he did last season and still, he was very good at the right. And then you're adding the ball on the right. That tells you everything you need to know about what, what you're about to fear. I'm honestly very sad for every left back in La Liga that is about to face Atletico. Yeah, I can only agree. It's going be, gonna to be, be a trait to, to follow at least. Yeah, and I think it was also interesting to see uh, Condogbia 
in the back three dropping at the left because uh, I wasn't sure generally what's going to happen given that there was basically virtually uh, no proper left back or right back in um, their squad uh, when they had their lineup. And seeing, you know, Kondogbia perform like he did, uh, you, you got to salute the man. Yeah, definitely. It was a, was a brave brave uh, experiment from Simeone, but I think it turned out quite well. He, I think he won the ball prior to the goal, actually. So we had a... Had his part uh, to that, uh, yeah, the game-winning goal, and uh, he all, honestly is a good passer, and I think he can add something to that build-up when uh, Mario Hermoso isn't available. So it might be a way to for Simeone to use Kondogbia uh, going forward. Yeah, I I guess it's time to wrap it up uh, this time. Uh, I think we did well without Domagoy, so <laughs> let's see if he's back next week. I think is. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but until then, uh, thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you. Bye. Yeah.